0: This is a headgum podcast. Hey, this is Stephanie Williams of the Lemonade Podcast and Let Go, Let Flow, one half of Misty Nice Uninformed Afro, which I co host with creator of blackgirlnerds.com and the BGM podcast, Jamie Rodnext. We're back for season two of MKUA. For those of you that might be unfamiliar, we are a podcast that talks about Black superheroines and Black women characters in comics. We discuss their origin stories, character development, well-known story arcs, obscure story arcs, and, well, of course, we discuss their hair. I mean, we are Misty Nights Uninformed Afro. This season, we're featuring Alien Defiance's Zula Hendrix, Bitch Planet's Penny Roll, Milestone's Rocket, Saga's Gwendolyn, Frank Miller's Martha Washington. DC's Nubia and we also have a surprise character but can't say anything about it yet just the mystery just like our first season we're hoping that you walk away more knowledgeable of these women and walk away with the thirst to get to know them better so please pull up a seat get comfy and we'll meet you on the other side of the dryer Hi everyone,
1: I'm teaming up with the website rewire.news to explore the intersection of their work and mine on a brand new podcast called Get It Right. On Get It Right, we explore pop culture through the lens of justice and particularly reproductive justice. I'll be talking to critics and creators about comics, movies, TV, music, anything is fair game. You can find it now on iTunes or Stitcher to search for Get It Right or Rewire. Give it a listen and drop us a review with any ideas for what you'd
0: like to hear us cover. See you soon.
2: of the Adventures of Moxie McGriff comics, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerd
0: Podcast. I'm Tracy Heather Strain, director of Sighted Eyes, Feeling Heart, the first featured documentary about Lorraine Hansberry, and you're listening to me on Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
3: Hello, my name is Corey Glover. I'm from the band Living Color, and right now you're listening to Black Girl Nerds. This is Corey Bowles. You're listening to Black Girl Nerds. This is Theo Rossi, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Yo, what's up? This is Shay Hadari-Coker, the showrunner and creator and executive producer of Marvel's Luke Cage. You're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
4: My name is Violessa Thompson, and I am the creator of the Disability 2Y hashtag and the founder of Ramp Your Voice. You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
5: Hey y'all, this is LeVar Burton, Kunta, Jordy, Reading Rainbow Guy. You are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. It is the bomb diggity podcast on the interwebs, but you don't have to take my word for it. Five,
0: six, seven, eight. Holla boys and girls is the
6: BGN. Coming from the Marvel World to the DC Friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends. Better shake your booties for black nerds Better
0: shake your booties for black nerds Yeah Better shake your booties for black nerds Better shake your booty for black nerds Better shake your booties for black nerds
1: Thanks for tuning in to episode 129 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast My name is Jamie, and I am your host. This episode is titled, Jay Ellis, Five Fingers, and Lauren Lake. Three fantastic segments. In our first segment, Tora has a one-on-one with actor Jay Ellis, who you know best as Lawrence on Insecure, and he makes a second appearance on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. He talks about his latest project on the Urban Movie channel a new web series that he is developing. In our second segment, I sit down with the entire cast of the movie Five Fingers for Marseille. This film premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. The film takes place in South Africa, and it's a spaghetti western genre film. If you haven't taken a look already, check out my review on blackgirlnerds.com on what I thought about the film. In our third segment, Ashia does a one-on-one with Lauren Lake. Lauren Lake is a television personality who serves as the judge on the new nationally syndicated show called Paternity Court. So that's our show, three amazing segments, incredibly profound and interesting guests. Sit back and relax, BGN 129, Jay Ellis, Five Fingers, and Lauren Lake. Jay Ellis, who you know best as Lawrence on the HBO hit series Insecure is involved in a new project on the Urban Movie channel called Hard Medicine, a web comedy series produced by Ellis and producing partner Paula Bryant Ellis. Created by Melissa Eno-Effa, the eight-episode project centers on a quirky medical doctor of a low-income health clinic who must maneuver between demanding corporate heads, outlandish patients and her wacky but loyal staff, all in an effort to keep the community's haven of healthcare afloat. Effa stars along with Nicole Slaughter, Celeste Turner, Jeff Hunt, and Ashley Narvaez.
6: Hi everyone, I am Tora Shea, and this is Black Girl Nerds. We are so excited to have with us the amazing incomparable Jay Ellis. Thank you so much for coming on the show. (laughs)
3: Oh, uh, thank you for
6: having me. So, we hear that you have a new series called Hard Medicine on the Urban Movie Channel and we're so so excited about it. Can you tell us a little bit about the premise and the cast? Yeah,
3: so um Hard Medicine follows this uh, quirky doctor and her medical staff as they fight to keep their uh, their clinic open, yeah. um, and it basically was all spent off of uh, Melissa, you know, Ellis wrote, created, she wrote, she directed, she also uh, played Claire in the series. Her mother is a, a doctor at a clinic in Atlanta, and she wanted to tell her mom's story. She saw like She black comedic storytelling tools and other shows and so she wanted to uh she wanted to jump in there and, and give it a try and so we put it together and, and this is what it is it's this comedic take on you know what an urban clinic medical clinic looks like
6: okay that That sounds really interesting to see. Um, We don't often get to see those types of representations. So Black women in film and TV are usually only offered like a select group of character tropes. We rarely see humor that humanizes us without also causing pain. So with such a diverse cast and crew at the helm, what kind of relatable humor can we look forward to?
3: Oh, you know, it's great. So we have, uh, you know, we have uh, our cast is made up of three black women, uh, one Asian woman, and uh, I think she's actually Filipino, and then one white male. Like, that's our core cast that you're going to see every single day. And it's great because not only do you get to see the bond that these two, that, that these three black women share, but you also get to see their relationships with. Their, 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 um clients, not clients, I'm sorry, Their patients. You get to see their relationships with each other. Um, and, and it creates this really cool dynamic where, you know, everyone's here for the same thing, but we kind of go at it a different way. And I might understand the way you are going at it, but at the same time, this person may not understand the way we're going at it. And so we might have a little bit of a joke and it kind of shows those inner office politics. And those inner, those inner office like relationships and connections that we often share, especially when you work with someone who looks like you.
6: Right. People of color often tend to humorize microaggressive behavior that we experience in corporate spaces or white dominated spaces with this show being centered around a black female doctor and um, other people of color, what types of situations can we hope for the series to highlight about Black Doctors?
3: Uh, you know, this is going to be, I mean, you know, I think one of the biggest things for us is like, this isn't about drilling down race and microaggression in your face. This is showing people in a light that we've never seen them before. Right. You know, we're going to show, I will say, one of, the, one of the stories that we do highlight and that the this, this season kind of is centered around is this, this clinic being closed down because of funding. And it's being closed down because of funding because of the neighborhood that it's in. So, you know, being a predominantly black neighborhood or neighborhood with people of color. So that is that is what kind of drives this season. Um, and, and we get to see that play out and what that means. And we get to see the passion that our staff has for this clinic that corporate who's you know not doesn't understand the neighborhood doesn't understand the people, doesn't have the same passion for the people you know we do get to see that dynamic we get to see how this corporate office that's on the other side of town and has no connection right. versus the people who are the people of color who are in the clinic working with people of color and and their passion and and love for working with these people and also the need for healthcare for these people. We do get to see that. But one of the things that, you know, we really wanted to do was just humanize these characters. And we don't, we want to just normalize this. Right. So we just want to show you people working and people who look like us working in this field and that we, 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 you know, uh, uh Dr. Moore, who's, who's the lead of the show and, and the lead doctor in the, in the clinic, you know, she has the same, Challenges and more, being a woman of color, absolutely, and we do hit on those, like you said. But you know, we wanted to show her, like, in this space, functioning and and surviving and thriving, and do and showing that she does all she can to make her her clinic,
7: right.
3: you know, successful and make sure her parent, her clients, excuse me, I keep saying clients, patients, <laughs> That's make sure the same her patients, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> And make sure her parents are. are I'm all over the place, man. It's <laughs> early in the morning. Make sure her patients, her patients, are being you know taken care of and treated right.
6: Right. Well, I really look forward to that. Um, I that representation um, and seeing the way that she navigates that, and especially seeing a show humanize um, black doctors and with a comedic tone so with the style of hard medicine being like a 10 to 12 minute mockumentary i wondered what is the production time and effort required to produce an episode of this size and how much of the hilarious footage do you end up having to like cut and keep for yourselves
3: You know, it's interesting. So because of the way it's shot, we end up with uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of footage. And Melissa could speak to this better because she actually was in the edit for most of these episodes. And then I came back on the back end uh, after an assembly was put together. But there's a lot of footage that we basically had to go back through and comb through if we wanted to add something or if we needed to change something. Because, you know, luckily, although everything is scripted, you get these actors get to do something different every single take because we might punch in and zoom in on one. We might be, you know, we might be covering them in a close on one. We might be covering them in a wide on one. We might be, you know, covering them in a profile. So these guys, they kind of get to do something different, which gives, for us, it's like gold because we get to then go in and choose the stuff that, you know, where they're absolutely genius and they were just having fun and they were just, you know, coming up with their own thing that was based off of what we did the last time or, or based off of what the script said. And so uh, we end up with a lot. As far as the effort of production, I mean, you know, Melissa put together a really, really talented crew. And I have to give her a shout out for this because she came out of Loyola Marymount and did this project. She came, she graduated from college and did this project and did it with, you know, friends of hers who some were still at Loyola and some had graduated with her. And they took over They took over a clinic in Atlanta uh, that her mom ran that was transitioning to a larger space. And so they had this space uh, that had all the equipment and furniture in it that they needed. And they literally shot, and also with everyone's schedules, because people had to work as well. It basically took about a month to get everything shot.
6: Oh, my goodness. That is... Yeah. unbelievable the amount of work yeah. that went into that
3: so yeah and all, our, tell. all our music <laughs> is original all our music is original to the show um we have a we have a, a you know i again very diverse behind the camera from writing to producing to our dp uh as a woman um you know it's just there were so many it was putting together this this Group of filmmakers and this cast was just so uh, thoughtfully executed, and I think when you see it come together, and then the amount of time that went into the editing of it, and the amount of time which we also had a woman who edited the entire series, uh, a latino woman who edited the entire series, and when you see this whole thing come together with with the music and the editing and the lighting and you know, you, it's really special. And, and we, we had a lot of fun, you know, there was a lot of fun doing it and we're, you know, looking forward to a second season and doing it all over again.
6: Well, you can always tell when that much love and hard work goes into something because it definitely comes through on screen. Um, so I, <laughs> it's very exciting to see something like this being made by people of color or diverse, a diverse group of people. Um, So this is this is epic.
3: So, yeah, you know, thank you. I think that like you know one of the things, especially that being on Insecure taught me and, and printed, our showrunner says this all the time, and ESA, uh obviously created the show, and and you know her vision and uh, you know we we know how amazing she is but one of the things that they they both say all the time is how you know the the diversity of our filmmakers the diversity of our writers the diversity of even our cast background although we're primarily people of color you know black people of color you know right even our diverse, even our diverse backgrounds—the way Ivan grew up, or I grew up, or Issa grew up, or Alain grew up, or Neil, or Amanda, Natasha—ways, um, you know, that brings so much to the story, and it makes it so much more rich. And that's what we should be doing. I think we should constantly be, you know, challenging each other to grow and to be better by 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 bringing our point of views together and And you know, creating work that we enjoy doing and we have doing. That, you know we have fun doing, and I think that's what uh that's what we were able to do here.
6: Wow, yeah, I definitely agree with the point that um, you know, with blackness, being seen as monolithic by so many. It definitely is important to show uh, different viewpoints and different ways of being Black. So that's why with this series, I'm very excited because it still seems, seems like, you know, quirky, but this is what we have to do. So it's identifiable in that, you know, we're often painted, Black women are often painted as just strong and the right. vulnerability or the humor underneath that, that we don't really get to see that often. So with a show like this, it's it's right. very refreshing to see that portrayed.
3: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I will, I'm going to pass that to on to Melissa, because she would love to hear that. You guys have to <laughs> talk to her at some point. She would love to hear that.
6: Well, we'll got to set that up. <laughs> so how do <laughs> you balance comedic acting and working in production with the dramatic and serious acting that's usually necessary in order to paint a full picture?
3: You know, I I don't know. I just don't think I have a choice. I don't I don't really think about it, I guess. I think that, you know, life is just shaded with so many so many good so many ups and downs and valleys and peaks and, you know, I guess I just um I just do you know, I'm inspired by so many people. I think there's that, you know, I grew up, my, my father was very, very, very into comedy. Um, And so that has always been something that's drove me my uh, you know, from watching, you know, Martin, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor and, 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 you know, (laughs) just every, I mean, we watched everything, man. We, we Seinfeld and, my wife and kids and the Steve Harvey show. Like my dad was just so into comedy. And so just growing up with that. And then my mom, on the other hand was in the drama. And, you know, she, if, if I was watching a movie with my mom, it was going to be like a Western. It was going to be a Clint Eastwood movie. It was going to be a Sidney Poitier movie. Disney was going to bust through with a gun, you know? So it that's, so I just, my life was just such this balance of those two things, just depending on who I was with that day. And my my parents are together and have been together for 36 years, but just depending on who was at home watching TV, when or which bedroom I went into and watch TV, you know, that's depending on what I was watching. So for me, I just, I've always felt like, you know, we've, we've kind of created in black Hollywood, this thought that like, comedic actors can only do, you know, comedians can only do comedy. And if you're not a comedian, then you do drama. And why do we, you know, I don't want to say we've created that. I think Hollywood has told us that. And I don't feel like that's true. You know, actors of, who are not of color Get to go do comedies and they get to go do dramas and they get to go do action movies and they get to go do animated movies and and why don't we get to do that and so I think that's just always what I've wanted for myself and for my career, so I just get up every day and do it, and whatever the material calls for, I'm happy to to do it as long as I love the project.
6: Well, it definitely shines through because I have <laughs> watched you through some things, and I'm always it's always a one minute laughing and the next minute I'm like oh feels. <laughs> but
3: speaking but again, of, that's also a part of life, right? Exactly it's part of life. I mean, you might wake up you you wake up today and you you know you're excited about something, or you wake up today and you're not. Usually, I mean, I'm not a morning person, so I wake up every day and I'm usually like dragging my feet. But then, like you know, somewhere. An hour later, I have breakfast and my mood all of a sudden changes. And then I get a text message or a phone call that I didn't get this or get that. And then all of a sudden I'm pissed again. Right. You know, it's just part of, you know, we have these arguments with people in our lives and, and, you know, and, and you have these microaggressions that happen at work and in the, at the grocery store and while you're driving and like these, these are just parts of our life and no, no one's life is just all one shade. Um, even in your darkest you know no one's life is just all one shade and I think that like, that is just such a true representation of 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 humanity and I love telling that story right and the production side of it I will say I have partners who help me out immensely uh my mom produced heart medicine with me um I have another business partner here in Los Angeles named Aaron who uh production partner who I work with on on a, on a lot of projects so I have I I have help for sure. It it takes a village 100% and I could not do it without the people around me.
6: Oh, wow. That's amazing that you have that kind of support and help. So, wow. but speaking of balancing comedy and drama can we discuss for just a moment lawrence's growth on insecure so (laughs) we're seeing the hijinks that follow lawrence as he tries to enjoy his singlehood and you know sow his royal oats and all that but what do you think about the way lawrence is allowed to express his his own vulnerability and insecurity during this period of finding himself
3: you know this this journey has been really amazing to watch him go from this dude who everyone was like, He needs to go get him off the couch, kick him out, that bum need a haircut, and need to change his clothes, to, oh, he's cute. He went and got a job for her and he working at Best Buy. And he's like being loyal and pushing the shorty from the bank off to then the hard flip of him getting, you know, his heart broken and pissed off and like leaving the house then to, you know, watching him in this very vulnerable state call Issa and and tell her that he misses her, and then go home, and then we don't see him at home anymore. We see him with Tasha, and now we start season two, and it's a few months later, and he's still not there. And I I think, you know, what's so interesting about this is, like, especially as we've gotten into season two and and just watching his growth every episode, like, I just don't ever remember seeing a black dude like this on TV before. Right. And I don't ever remember remember seeing a dude who dealt with, who, who, I think, you know, the interesting thing is we as viewers get to see his vulnerability, but like Chad doesn't necessarily get to see his vulnerability because he tries to hide it or when he at work, which we're gonna see come up in the next couple episodes, like, he just tries not to deal with it. But, like, it's still something that's there. The, 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 the sting and the hurt of being cheated on uh, and having his heart broken is still there, and he doesn't know how to use his words. And I think that, like, we don't really teach our men how to use words. Like, we're just a society that's always been like, hey, you a man, this is what you do. Like, you don't cry, you know what I'm saying? We don't take no shit. You just go out there and you get this done. And I think we've we've now created this culture and again society has created this narrative around young black men that like we got to be hard all the time and hyper masculine, and we don't talk about our feelings and that's like you're half a human you know when you do that you're not living your full emotional range of who you are and you're 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 blocking so many things out of your life whether whether that be love whether that be happiness, whether it be anger or depression, whatever it is, he's blocking so many things out of your life that make you a full-rounded human being. And I think what's really cool about this character is we get to see that in him. We get to see that, like, no, this dude isn't effeminate. No, this dude isn't, like, you know, a punk. No, this dude, like, whatever, whatever terms anyone wants to bring up, this is just a dude who's lost. This is just a dude who doesn't know how to use his words. He doesn't know how to communicate his feelings. But you can see he's going through all of this. And I think that's such a powerful, powerful, powerful tool. And as an actor, like, it's all I could ever ask for is to go through all these ups and downs and to have somebody who's so complex and and you see him 360 degrees. Uh, Because it humanizes black men.
6: Exactly. That vulnerability definitely does. If anything, watching Lawrence try to go through this without really expressing how he feels to the people that matter to him most should be a warning because you kind of see how it backfires.
3: Oh, my God. Um, Oh, my God. If you're not paying if you're not paying attention to this, I just had this conversation with a young lady in the airport last night uh, when I left New York. And, you know, she was talking to me about what her and her group were going through. And I said to her, you know, like, it, he doesn't know how to use his words. And I'm not saying that it's okay. And I'm not saying that, that it is uh, uh, acceptable. But there is a generation of young black men who don't know how to use their words and often put themselves in positions where they are going to put something at risk. And it could be the person they love. It could be their job. It could be family. It could be friendships because we're not communicating properly and we're not because we're scared to be vulnerable because being vulnerable means X, Y, Z. Right. And so, you know, I think you're right. This is a cautionary tale.
6: Even from the first season, I when people were writing off Lawrence as just this bum, I'm like, okay, but is he depressed? Because these are signs. Um, it, right. It, it seems we gotta, like and he's- we
3: gotta, and Those are things that we have to talk exactly. about. Those are things that we really need to dig in and say, like, yo, what is this? Is this dude really just an asshole or is he depressed? Because if he's depressed, we have to deal with that. We can't just let- Yes, We can't just let our men of color walk around depressed. We can't just let anyone walk around the press. Like, these are conversations that we have to be having. Um,
6: I love that series like these bring out these conversations. And we're as a community are now having these conversations about, you know, how do you recognize the signs of depression? How do you help a man deal with his feelings, despite him having to go through, you know, that hurdle of masculinity and toxic, unpacking that toxic masculinity. So it's, it's, it's a wonder. (laughs) So.
3: Oh, thank you, man. Issa and our writers do an amazing job of, of really just, of really just bringing it all to the page and really just giving us the tools that, you know, as an actor, I feel like I I have, I feel like I have this like toolkit (laughs) <laughs> like, all I got to do is just follow the instructions and I'm going to have this amazing Ikea piece of furniture that's <laughs> nicer than Ikea, hopefully. But you know what I mean? And I feel like they've given me everything that I need to just put it together. They they really do a great job of that.
6: They really do. But, I mean, you you are something to behold on that screen because, I mean, not everybody can put an Ikea... Uh, <laughs> dresser together without having <laughs> a few pieces messed up, some tools left over. So <laughs> you take those tools that they give you and you build something amazing. Um, what type of Thanks. development do you hope to see for Lawrence's character in the future? Like if there's one thing that you hope to see for him.
3: Um, you know, I, I, I hope he gets to the point of being able to open up and talk. You know, I I don't I don't know if he can ever get past what happened with him and Issa. I I don't know, but I do hope that he's able to a deal with some of his own stuff because I don't I think what Lawrence hasn't realized yet is that he's spiraling out of control and he's although the issue with Issa happened and he's heartbroken, he can still control his behavior and not spiral in this case. He still doesn't have to make the mistakes he made with Tasha or make the mistakes that he made with the threesome. Like, he doesn't have to make those mistakes. He is spiraling a bit, and he's not taking responsibility for his own behavior. And I, I do hope that, like, that is something that, like, that he comes to find and that he comes to, like, you know, unpack, if you will, you know? And I and I, and I I hope that that means that, like, he can find some closure with with Issa, whatever that means for them whether that means getting back together whether that means it's over whatever that means I I do hope he can find that and I think also in that I hope that that means he can learn how to open up to his boy and just talk and just have a conversation with him
6: Uh, I will live for that conversation and I hope it ends with like and I love you (laughs) like we need to see those sensitive moments where (laughs) where you know guys are saying that to each other like I love you because I see it sometimes they'll, they'll make it weird, but, <laughs> but those moments when guys <laughs> finally open up, I, I do hope that that is something that we get to see. Um, and yeah, Lawrence, definitely. I'm excited to see him do his own emotional labor and figure out how to do that for himself. But yeah back yeah. to hard medicine so for viewers who are just as hype about this as I am um where can we watch it where how can they support you how can they support the show like get a yeah so this is
3: crazy man you know I I posted this on my Facebook, and it just, on my Facebook page, I put the first episode on my Facebook page, and it just went absolutely crazy, Mm -hmm. and I think, like, over a million people viewed the first episode, like, within a week or something like that, and Angela Northenson over at UMC call, and she was like, I love this, we love this, like, our entire team has seen it, like, let's get it on the channel, like, what can we do, and so, you know, I we were amazed, astounded, and I love UMC. I've had the opportunity to work with UMC before on another project that I did a few years back, and so it seemed like the perfect home. And so we're now uh, episode three premieres on UMC. Episodes one, two, and three actually all premiered together on UMC uh, afternoon. I'm sure Sarah, someone from UMC, could probably give you a better time because I don't know what time things go live on streaming i don't even know if that's a real live is a real thing on streaming but um
6: i usually just uh, wait up until a, like 3 a.m <laughs> and yell at the app but
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i don't even know when things really even happen on streaming apps but we, nonetheless heart medicine will be on umc tomorrow and we would just love for people to go out and watch and support there's a hard medicine Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You can always go and like, like those pages and follow those pages. Uh, there's my social media, which is all uh, my Facebook is the real J. Ellis. My Instagram and, and Twitter are J. R. Ellis. Melissa has all her handles, which are uh, a bit different, but they're all listed there. Um, I mean, we just want people to go out and support it and watch it and laugh with us. And, you know, if you're in the medical field, tell us your stories, tell us the story of you being in a hospital. You know, we get to deal with all these quirky characters and patients who come in as well. So like, we'd love to hear people's stories and, you know, maybe they'll make it into season two.
6: That would be amazing. (laughs) So, um, is there a hashtag or just hashtag hard medicine or do you want?
3: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's. Uh, Sarah, you're on the phone still. Is there a hashtag that you guys have come up with?
8: So right now we're using hashtag Hard Medicine
6: and hashtag Watch UMC. And okay. so the there website you go. where people can find it is www.umc.tv. Okay. You heard it right there. <laughs> you heard it here first, y'all. I'm
3: just and I think we also have a, we also have a discount code too. So if you go to my Facebook page. Uh, With last week's episode, with episode two, there is a UMC, UMC has graciously given us a discount code uh, to get people to go over and sign up. And so I think you get like a month or two months free or something like that of of UMC. I'm not exactly sure, and I don't represent UMC, so don't be yelling at me if I said it wrong. But you get some (laughs) free time with UMC. I know that for sure.
8: Yes, you do get a free month on UMC, so head to JL's Facebook page and get that
3: code. There you Thank go. Thank you
6: for being the plug. Like, look at you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much Ooh. for answering our questions about all of this. We are so excited. Um, is there anything else that you want to viewers to know before they watch the series?
3: Just have fun. Just literally go in and have fun. And you know, there's somebody you know or who's like you or who's related to you who is who is on the show uh and you know i think it'll forever change how you walk into a hospital for sure um but just go in and have fun and and you know sit with us and send us your comments and let us know what you think
6: all right will do thank you so much thanks for coming on black Girl thank you <laughs> this was all so right much thank fun. you have a good one you too
3: uh, yeah it was all right
1: Five Fingers for Marseille, 20 years after fleeing from brutal police aggression in Colonial Marseille, a member of the Five Fingers returns seeking peace. But with this town under a new threat, he must reluctantly fight to free it, in this thriller from South African filmmaker Michael Matthews. Thank you for tuning in to this special TIFF edition of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I'm your host. We're really excited to talk to the cast of this fantastic film out of South Africa called Five Fingers for Marseille. And what I'm going to do, because I know I'm going to butcher people's names here, <laughs> um, I'm going to have each of the cast members um, introduce themselves, state your name, and the name of the character that you
2: play in this fantastic, brilliant film. Um, oh, hello, my name is Zetu Jomo, and I play Leonardo.
5: Hamilton Gamene plays Sipoku, the ghost. I'm um, Kenneth the ghost and I play the character called aka Pockets.
7: Hey everybody, this is Buyo again, Buyo Dabula, and I play Dao.
1: Excellent. Um, this film has some strong hmm. themes of a spaghetti western. Uh, there's also some aspects of this being kind of a coming of age film. Uh, Can you talk about some of the characters that you play, the principal characters who are our five freedom fighters, um, and were there any films in particular that influenced you while you were working on this? So we'll just go in the same order.
2: Uh, Oh, (laughs) can I start with the guys, actually, because I I need to chew my thoughts a bit. Uh, Hams, want to take on a question for now?
5: Um... I was mostly inspired by lots of films that we've done in South Africa, which never got an opportunity to be part of them, the Chief Festival. And yeah, so we've lost quite a lot of that as an inspiration to inject some energy into this one. One
9: of the I think is um, all, all these characters are, are actually influenced and inspired by where we come from, basically. You know? uh, because the story is about love, the, the stories is about betrayal, the stories is about um, greed and everything like that, which is what uh, I think everybody in the world is experiencing, is experiencing right now, as much as it is based in South Africa and America. Uh, but that's what we are dealing with, the politics of the, of the country, the politics of the world and the women we're at. So um, we didn't have to draw very far, we had to draw from our own experiences because that's where we come I don't know if I'm answering, I answer you? Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. And, and then also, um, can you tell me a little bit about your character? Because your character's yeah. kind of a wealthy guy and he's a mayor of his own town.
9: Yeah, I, I, I mean, my character, you can relate my character to a, a lot of politicians in South Africa right now, you know? Uh, he, he's a guy who grew up uh, um, as, as much as he was in a township, in an environment where people were poor, but he was like the one maybe with a little bit of more than everybody else. And and, and, and and as they grow older, and when the five, you know, um, when the town walks away and, and then the five decide to split, and he pursues one thing and one thing only, which is to run, uh, run the place and to make it out there and, and make sure that it develops. But at the same time, obviously it is about him. It is about the power. It is about the money. It is about uh, what you are seeing a lot happening in the, in the world today. It's less about the people. Much as we, and the rhetoric is about the people, but uh, more than anything it is not. It is about the greed, it is about... He's a very sad character, he's a sad guy. Because when everybody else is gone, uh, what else does he have? He has his wits and he has his money to make sure that he survives in that, in the, in, in, in that environment. Well, That's what I
5: think. At the back of his mind he knows that he's betrayed people. Yeah. His own people and he's betrayed the country. Because when I mean, you look at things like service delivery, it's done on purpose and reach your pocket and make yourself uh, fertile in the pocket but you won't deliver for the people in the country which is what the whole world is facing everyone is becoming I mean, there are arms deals and uh, everywhere in the world but it goes to one pocket it's fine, I don't mind you selling arms but just benefit the people and eradicate poverty create employment then we won't complain, the rest is yours yeah. it is the politics of the stomach yeah. you know, it's about how much
9: you can do it. And, uh, and, and I think that's where he is when we find him in the movie. And he's, he's very much alone at the same time. And some love interest with the writer, yeah know, who, who, unfortunately, does not even, I don't even, even think writer has ever thought of him in that way. But and I think in the back of his mind, since he's a kid, he's always been told be getting like, one day, she'll be mine. And using the power in the mind and all that, thinking that she can, he can know her, and she doesn't because he's the love
7: of this other guy who just walked away. It's, <laughs> it's, basement, okay. it's not so <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
5: So, so talk to us about Tao, because
1: Tao's our, our fearless leader in this
7: film. Fearless. Um, to answer your question, I think uh, the only person that I could reference is my father. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I've seen him face some of the most dangerous people. When I used to, I, where I grew up, you could just die, you know, uh, at the drop of a hat. Mm. You know, um, a guy would just stab you, and uh, that's it. And there was a particular guy who used to terrorize the, the neighborhood. And uh, my brother says that he was he was he was actually with my father on the bike with my father. And you know, the guy actually saw me and says, "Hey, we're not on a bicycle." Like, yeah, we're on a bicycle. And my, my father stopped the bicycle and then he walked up to the guy. He didn't fight him. He just stared him down. And the guy just apologized and left. And this is a guy that was used to actually killing people. So, I mean, I grew up with, you know, seeing my... I mean, he, was a violent, he was a violent man. And, you know, I, I grew up seeing him and how calm, you know, he is. So I just kind of, you know, just my thoughts about him just paid homage to him. I just thought about him thought about in you know, very few words um, he, you know his siblings the rest of his siblings were musicians and uh, he you know they were a lot soft and, you know what I mean they, they they would be like you know soft and he was he was pretty hard he was a pretty hard man quick to hit you and whatnot. yeah wow. so I, I remember that that's what I channeled uh, for that. Um, you know, I went into you know a bit of boxing as well because I mean, he's a fighter, and it takes a special type of person to get in, you know, to get into the ring and face another man, you and know, knock, knock your, head out, your head off. And uh, that 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 I did just to connect with the fighter's mind and spirit, so that when I that I believe that I can fight, right. I'm a fighter. When I'm in the screen so that it reads, that's what I did. I, you know, got myself into a bit of sparring, boxing, got got into a fighter's mind. So basically, that's 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 the that, that's 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 where he comes from. It's amazing.
1: And and talk to us about
2: Lorato because she's referred to as the heart and soul. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm actually thinking about that right now. So Lerato is the heart of these five fingers, but you know, she is. She goes through a lot, she goes through um a pregnancy by herself as mm-hmm. a single parent, you know what I mean uh, um i I'm not sure who was the love of her life actually between Dao and Zulu um but she had a son with Zulu um but uh, yeah she she lives a very complicated she had to swallow in, in Zulu we sayji you have to swallow a rock she's like. <laughs> Just swallow it, cause cause it, it will still heavy on your heart, you know. So it's it's it, as much as she may be the heart of the five fingers, keeping the past alive, you know. Um, but she herself is barely breathing, cause she's going through a lot. She lost her mom, you know. Being surrounded by men all the time and violence all the time, and it's like, am I the heart because I'm a woman? Is it the estrogen in the air or what? Like you know, cause and and also just. I love her character uh, because she breaks this the the notion that women are weak. She takes ownership like of yeah. uh, of the situation. She does something. She doesn't yes. just sit there and, and feel like a man must now come to her rescue. And but she's a tough cookie, strong woman. Yeah, you
9: yeah. Know, She reminds me a bit of you know, talking about uh, A bit of um, uh, uh, women in, in our country. That I had to go through a lot. Women mm-hmm. like my mother, women like Winnie Mandela, mm-hmm. who, who really had to keep the home fires burning when men were absent, and men were not around to take care of the war, the struggle, while they were uh, taking care of uh, taking care of kids and yeah. bringing them up. You know, yeah. uh, I've always looked at my mother and wondered how she was able to do it with the laborer's um, salary to bring up the five of us, myself and my four siblings. Uh, to to be strong men and women that we are today, with a a measly, measly uh, but she was able to do it. She was able to to us, she was able to feed us, she was able to protect us. She was able to make sure that she was out there fighting the struggle that everyone else was fighting. And there is still a lot of those women today, and it still happens today. And, 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 And unfortunately the other ones that uh, get more abuse more than anything else, mm-hmm. and otherwise the ones get the
2: because you can take it. You feel yeah. like uh, when you're a strong woman, you feel like you can take it. You right. feel like you can take all the punches, and it's fine. And instead of people realizing that it's not fine to punch,
5: mm-hmm. you
2: just take it, you know. And my things becomes until when, like mm-hmm. uh, until until what happens. So until so you take it into your own hands, sometimes you feel like you just have to just make the pot to be done, you know.
5: Right. right. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. And on the narrative issue. I thought maybe the ending it should have been not too many. Many have messed up since the beginning of time. We, I, I thought it would be nice to have the writer as a new leader because you guys have, you're capable of running households. Let's see how can you run the country because so let's blame the rights about, <laughs> about strength. The writers.
1: Yeah. I want to talk to you more about your character Ghost because he is the main villain of this story and your voice is just very like you know, pronounced and menacing, and and I I thought you did a fantastic job in this role. So can you kind of talk to us a little bit about Ghost and what his intentions
0: are?
5: Yeah, it it was a challenge, because I had to go to my director and ask him, what what, what did you mean? And he said, no, he created this character, and it's part of the story. I wanted to know his background and all that. And to be honest, when I went to shoot, in fact, I flew flew to Blumfrontein, I didn't have an idea how I was going to play the character until I was set with Warren Masimula, uh, uh, Kenneth, and we started talking about this character because I was asking questions. Then, as, the, as we were talking, then I started to see images, you know, feeling of the person. I did a role uh, in a show played by me, uh, directed by me, Desi Shaban. I was playing an Ancestor, so I was very close to that because he didn't want me to use gestures, he just wanted the voice. Yeah. So, it came in my mind. And I thought, okay, let me fuse it with the climate that we lived, the conditions of, of weather we lived under there. Um, it was cold, very cold, so it helped the voice to sit properly. Uh, at the next had so much force to push it, to, to push it. It just sat properly. And yeah, costume, Pierre, uh, Pierre is number one. As soon as he put on that heavy jacket on me, and the contact lens makeup, in fact, everyone helped to enhance the character. All I had to do was just to release it. And that's how it came out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Boyo, um, you did a magnificent job of being both empathetic and relatable, but also being the outcast in this story. Can you tell me more about how you approach playing the character of Tao?
7: Yeah. Um, I, besides the, the tough exterior, uh, besides you know just turning in the fighter. um... I, you know, sometimes it's you, 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 you complicate things. And I think if 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 you as a, as an actor, as a person, you do have a sensitive side, you have a sort of vulnerable side. You let that sit and then you work on it you feel that, you know, you need to work it so all I did was I just worked on the fighter and, and then I knew <coughs> that I would find spaces in, in in the performance to let the, the sensitive or, you know the relatable, uh, relatable uh, side, particularly with uh, the, the Caesar character, uh, and uh, you know it's, it's 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 a bit of a like a like a kind of a father figure figure thing, uh, and, and it also goes back to my relationship with my father. Um, so yeah. it's 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 um, so I'm you know in my mind in my spirit I'm just giving him what I may not necessarily have uh, received from that hard, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, sort of upbringing, in a way.
1: You know, I really love the breakdown of each of the characters' names and their titles. Uh, Zulu, the leader, fearless, Unapi, the pastor and storyteller, Lorado, the heart and soul, Uh, Leanda, the broken one called Cockroach, and Bogani, known as Pockets, the rich one, and Tao, the Lion, the Fast, Ruthless, and the Meanest. Um, these names, these titles, what, what do they mean to each of these characters, do you think?
5: <laughs> There's a say I don't know how to say this in English. It's only the biggest error. If you say somebody is a cockroach, you've messed up. I mean, that person automatically follows the characteristics of a cockroach, and it becomes a pest. Mm-hmm. It's in outright shape. Yeah. So you have to be careful when it comes to names. But I think our directors and writer will further explain how they got through that, what names are, and are they, they, they either become an inspiration or influential and of what of, may of good. Or a curse. Yeah, a
9: curse, curse. yes. Oh. Yeah. Mm. So what, I mean, when we look at Pocket, uh, Pockets, I, I'm thinking, his character is not just about that. Mm. Uh, but Pockets, more than it being about money, it's about power. You know, uh, somebody who's, who's comfortable with power, and uh, somebody who will do anything <laughs> uh, in his powers to get power, you know, and, and that's what it is, which is, I'm sorry, I keep, I keep on taking it back to our country and the way our country is right now, because it is exactly about that. I mean, when you see these guys, you call them the freedom fighters, young as they are fighting against the, the, the colonizers or the apartheid. A, a regime and and, and uh, to a point where he kills two of them. is exactly what could be happening in South Africa today except in a, in a democracy. Right, right? right. So now it won't be, the enemy won't be necessarily the, the white enemy. Uh, the enemy right now is the who is in power. Um, mm-hmm. Because obviously power corrupts and a lot of people have been corrupted. So I hope even when South Africans look at it, they look at it from their point of view. The fact that they can be a revolt, like Mandela said. The fact that uh, what Mandela said is that we, we should do the same to the present government mm-hmm. what we did to the past government if they begin to to, to, to play like the past government. Right. Which is keeping the oppressed oppressed. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it is. That's what is fascinating for me about this movie because it is so current. It, it is so relevant. It is it, it is it is now. Because people are revolting, You know, in many ways they one with our government right. you know, in South Africa today. So um so so this car- all these characters represent exactly that. They they represent what South Africa is today. You know, the people with big pockets and they, they just keep getting deeper and deeper and looting and looting and looting. You know, and, and, and these boy characters who how can relating simply to maybe really a po- opposition leader, you know, who who is out there to try and serve and protect as much as uh he, 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 he went away, he comes back with the same struggle and tries to help. I don't know if I'm making sense, but that's what it is. But it's Absolutely. also
5: a sinner, because yeah. by doing that in an ideology, you're messing up mm-hmm. the big system. Mm-hmm. So nobody's innocent. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. whether well, you're trying to be a hero, but where are you leading the people? Just, yeah. are, you, are you going to give them service? Uh, are you going to listen to their grievances movies, yeah. and all that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're still yeah. waiting for somebody big who could be neutral, and, uh, and, and that person shouldn't be affected by the ideologies that exist currently.
2: But the, now the problem then becomes, even if you find that person, what system are they going to use? Mm. Because even if you find that new guy who is yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm clean, I've lived a perfect life, I'm a good, high morals person, and I want to work in a system of democracy in any given country. That system, whoever placed it, if they were corrupt, don't you think that the system will still corrupt that person? Because mm-hmm. it's not going to be easy to just be perfect. Right. You know, we're always looking out for this hope. And, and, and my biggest problem um, politically right now in my country is that, you know, in fact, generally, in, in in every place in the world, colonization has 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 really taken away the gems of how people work in that place. So, for example, um, in KZN, in KwaZulu Natal, back home, there are long tops, toilets outside, right? And you think, oh my God, how uncivilized! They don't even flush, but they are next to the garden. There's a system. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so so. If we're now flushing and then, okay, but now the garden is dying, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a, there, there's a system to everything, there's a system. So, if you are coming to be the hero, come with a new solution. Because if you are trying to work in the same system, you're going to only perpetuate the same ideologies. Only you'll think that yours are better, because you think you're better. Right. You know? And, and, and according to who? In South Africa, we are very diverse, and that's the thing that Five Fingers also touches on. We, we have a, a Chinese man in the later, Yeah. Phase of it exactly when we now the adults are up in there it, it it it's cross it's cross race culture you know we we are multilingual multicultural multi religious nation mm-hmm. and according to who they like who are you going to appease mm-hmm. who's who, who must be the savior of such a nation and it's a very unique country South Africa well you know and as much as it has like universal. Uh, Themes as well, like love and you know betrayal, but in terms of this film, it's it's really it's it's digging into the fact that we we are not equal unless we have power. It's it, it's what animal farm. Yeah, yeah it's animal farm. George Orwell's wow. animal. Farm.
1: Yeah, there's so many exciting moments in this film. Was there any particular scenes that stood out the most to you?
7: Um, I keep talking about. Um, I, sh- I shed a little tear uh, when I saw. Uh, I'm going to be biased, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I enjoyed a lot of spoko scenes, you know, there's a scene where it, it looks like, you know, it's, 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 I don't know, the camera is, uh, you know, it's, it's pointed up mm-hmm. and you can see the heavens and it starts, oh. and oh. then it starts, you know, going, controlling the elements and, and, and nature. Oh. Mm-hmm. Which is which? Which which goes back to your question about get. Which goes back to your question about uh, the names. Yeah. Uh, so here's this open that controls. You know the elements. He goes in and out. Of uh, you know he's not controlled by you know uh, what you control us nature. You know he's not subject to. He seems to be. Uh, uh, he seems to be in control. Mm-hmm. of nature. And Tao on the other hand, is like the king of the jungle. He, 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 he reacts instinctively. And when it's time to go, he will go. So you get these two forces. That he's the only one, that spirit of a lion, that's the only one that can actually face this amazing force that is support. <laughs> but to answer your the the last the, the, the last question, I think that that scene where we are about to actually engage in uh, the the final battle, the gun battle, where we are in the church, and he starts counting them, and he says, and then he says, um, uh, if any one of you wants to change their minds, mm. and then he starts counting them, and then you know, and then you know they all have a it's like uh, the last kind of kind of sap you nice. know. think that's great that's a good analogy
1: yeah. yeah and
7: then they sort of who we'll, we'll step out and you know in we'll, we'll slow motion and everybody knows right. but they resign you, yeah. know, you know to their fate mm. like you know a lion doesn't think twice Right. so mm. he influences them not to think twice mm. but society we think twice about what would happen mm-hmm. you know if we stand against an impossible force what was an impossible force so you think about it, impossible <laughs> forces politically <laughs> around the world, even in South Africa. We think twice, but we were to employ that natural sort of God-given ability to decide. You know, our fate. Then, yeah. If they die, if they live, they've decided their fate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no a very
5: chance. There. And there's That's a nice. Line. Yeah. There's yeah. a line that I like. In fact, the first time I saw it and I thought, okay, it says, what does God say? When the priest is standing on top of the mountain, he says, in everything that happens, what does he say? So it means he himself, he loves drama, and he wants us to go through this rubbish system. <laughs> so what do we do? If he likes it, then we are powerless. Then we have to be part of it. We have to be perpetrators and victim, the victims at the same time. How sad. And that's his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just when you're about to give up and you want to talk to him he doesn't respond mm-hmm. what do you do? you fight until you die it goes back to what you were
9: saying uh, we've, we've had some incredible moments in this movie and there have been a few incredible moments I must be honest and, and I guess it goes back to Spooker again his arrival in the city you know, that just beautiful goosebumps, chicken skin kind of moment when he gets introduced into the... Uh, I think editors and everybody, musicians and directors did a great job in doing that. It's a beautiful thing in, in, in introducing his character to this character to this environment. one of my favorite moments. And I just love the children who played us. Yeah, did
1: you work with any of the kids that were your I mean,
9: younger, I, younger I, I, selves? I, really.
7: Would, that I, feel, I felt like that would just held for some weird, esoteric, I do know, force, there's that similarity. Yeah, yes. it's yeah. It's like the same person. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. the same person I was watching, and I was like, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that was well, good. Yeah, it's written. <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know.
9: I mean, I, I know that the directors uh, worked with the kids. I mean, we, we never really interacted with my Yeah. Uh, 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 but they did a great
5: job. And yeah, I mm-hmm. they mentioned the energy. Yeah.
1: So, um, last question. We here at Black Girl Nerds, we always want to know what's nerdy or geeky about you. So, is there a nerdy or geeky trait that you'd like to share with our listeners?
7: Really? You mean us as uh, individuals or the, the, the characters? You as individuals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's nothing nerdy about me. I, mean, I, might right now. I, might, I might get in <laughs> trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little thing I like to do. What is it? When, ah, come on. Come on I now. Said I said that might get me in trouble. Yeah, but you... <laughs> but you brought it up. So <laughs> I brought it up. <laughs> I brought it up. never hear me. Yeah. So like... I'm going to be a voice meme. I'm ahead of a voice meme. I'll be the first voice meme. Nerdy, <laughs> <laughs> nerdy.
1: Science fiction, uh, comic uh, books, <laughs>
7: gaming...
1: <laughs> Cosplay.
7: I, you know what I find myself uh what do you what's the English? How short sure telling me? tucking like yeah, yeah, yeah. I find that like tucking, you know, when I wear a shirt, I want to tuck in, but then you know, I always pull myself out of it and <laughs> Okay, so place. dressing very well and uh And then and then probably and then I have to fight that that whole Why yeah, I don't know. Why? Yeah? Why do you fight it? Allow it.
9: Think,
5: Look, I don't know man
7: I mean it's it's like it's like in the hood when you when you when you are you don't want to put on your seatbelt oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, per- perception. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a victim <laughs> I don't want to be a victim yeah. I'm got to protect we, myself not really. uh, That's <laughs> okay okay does just
2: watching series like What's that? <laughs> Does binge watching series? Count? Oh yeah. That okay, would make you no, 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 yeah, Okay, I'm a, a geek. TV I'm geek. geek. I'm a geek for days. I love watching my hard drive. Like, look, my hard drive is me and me. My hard drive are like this. we're best friends. So, Excellent. I love watching series and it. <laughs> Did
7: you see? <laughs> 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 well, implications if I I'm kidding, I'm kidding.
1: okay <laughs> well, we will stop it there um, well thank you so much um, we really appreciate listening to you guys talk about Five Fingers for Marseille please listeners check that out it's currently screening at TIFF and uh, it'll be in theaters soon so I appreciate you guys being on the Black Girl Nerds Podcast thank you thank you thank you thank you, thank you. Lauren Lake is a multifaceted television personality who now serves as the judge on the new nationally syndicated half-hour daily courtroom show, Paternity Court. The sharp-witted and opinionated Lake will help litigants resolve legal issues involving paternity using DNA results. A blend of feisty and fair, her dynamic yet down-to-earth persona will undoubtedly resonate with audiences.
4: get started so I want to start I know I've we've talked about this but I'd like to um just interview introduce our listeners to kind of your thinking here and starting with paternity court so we're going to kind of go down the the list of the various ways that you are blessing the world with your um with your expertise so with paternity court what inspired you to just kind of you know jump into that world of family disputes and paternity cases and you know contribute the way that you do as a judge on Paternity court what was your inspiration there
8: well i'll tell you when david armor the executive producer and creator of paternity court came to me and talked about doing this type of show um i had gotten contacted many times before almost four or five times about different judge projects and they either didn't come to fruition or uh, they ended up going in a different direction when david contacted me about this when he says you know i have an idea To do a court that's centered around paternity but i want to do it where we see paternity in a different light than we've seen it thus far where there's a responsible um spin to this where we're able to truly help families move forward with the truth and he says and what i like about what you've been doing as a lawyer over these past at that time i think i've been a lawyer for gosh almost 15 16 years He says, "Is when I see you talking about the law, you don't just talk about the law, but more importantly, how it empowers people and how it can serve people. And I like the fact that there's an inspirational component to what you do, and I want you to bring that to the bench. And honestly, that's what may be interested in the project because, look, when he said the words paternity court, I'm not going to lie. I said, now, hold on now. What are you trying to do? You know, because I'm not trying to be in a situation. I've spent two decades trying to inspire and empower people to live their limitless life, and I'm not going to get into a situation where I'm in a a television, you know, um, uh, program series where they are exploiting people or making people feel less than what they are. I'm not going to do that. And so that's what really was my, um, you know, the tipping point where I said, this is something I can really dig my heels into. And more importantly, this is something that really brings together all of my gifts and allows me to serve families who desperately need help.
4: Definitely. I can say I do appreciate after just kind of seeing the show as it has grown over the the past four seasons going into the fifth one, I can definitely see, you know, everyone is treated with a level of respect and you, you demand that the people, even if they're mad at each other because, you know, they're there for paternity issues. So there's obviously some disagreement you know, it's like, you want to be respectful. You're not going to be rude. And this, we're going to handle this in a mature manner. And that's definitely appreciated for sure.
8: Exactly. Thank Well, thank you so much. That means the world to me because that truly is my intention.
4: Definitely. Well, that's awesome. I do want to know now that, you know, you have four seasons, we're going into five, but we'll go with start, stick with the four seasons. What has been your most memorable case so far in the time that the show has been happening?
8: It's hard because there are so many. Uh there are some when where the child in question stays on my heart. I remember, gosh, that might have been your season and his name was Josiah. I have never mm-hmm. forgotten him. Yes. And he was I remember a little boy. Too. You remember him too, mm-hmm. right? I do. Um, and I think he just every time I say his name like I get a chill. I just got it now. Um you know he was what we call the child in question which sometimes i don't even like that name because the truth is the child is not in question it is the actions of the parents who are really in question uh, right. um the mother in particular but um in this case you could tell that there were there were two people um that were suffering from drug addiction uh you know substance abuse in in, in the courtroom um and we were trying to figure out the paternity for this little boy and as the woman began to talk about his home life and the fact that she didn't have a working fridge, she didn't have a working stove, she didn't have a, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, paternity issues aside, how is this baby eating, you know, and it when that case was over, you know, we were able to come to the conclusion that the gentleman in the courtroom was in fact his biological father, but this child sat on my heart. Still does. Where I wonder where he is. And as you know, I do follow up with many of our families, and I call back and have the producers call back and see where he is. And we lost track of Josiah. Their numbers were changed, and he has been on my heart forever. And every every interview, I feel like I talk about him in hopes that maybe someday someone will hear and have information on him so that I can know that he's okay. Um, Because as we see in our courtroom, families come into our courtroom with various levels of dysfunction, uh, shame denial, and sometimes other problems in addition to the paternity situation. And we have to help sort through not only the paternity situation, but give them the resources to help them to do those other things. And so um, I'm hoping that he's okay. One of the other ones is uh, the one where a gentleman went to jail for five years for failure to pay child support on a child that we ultimately found out, and that might have been your season two, We ultimately found out that this child was not, in fact, his biological child. However, it was one of those classic spring break situations. Guy, you know, has unprotected sex with a girl, goes back home to his state. The girl says she's pregnant. They send him a a, a summons to come to court. And he's thinking like any teenager, oh, I'm not the dad. I'm I'm not even going to show up. And he was named the father by default. And because of this, his name was placed on the birth certificate, and he was responsible for the child. And he, all his life he struggled to pay the support. He was jailed for failure to pay the support. Ultimately, to find out 18 years later in our courtroom that he, in fact, was not this child's biological father. The child was in the courtroom. He was 19 years old. At that point, it was crazy. It was just it was insanity. So that's one of my most memorable. And I think maybe the last one was where we not only discovered um, – at one point that a father was not in fact the biological father of two um, 20-something year old young people but we also discovered that the mother was not the biological mother of one of them as well and it wow. was heartbreaking because it was just a moment where the family decided that they were just going to get rid of the secrets everything they had been holding on to that binds them. they're just going to get rid of it and It was a moment in Chambers. After we discovered that the man was a biological father, the mother just says, I have one more thing, one more secret. I can't hold any more. That I am not your biological mother, she had to say to the son. And she said that you are really my my cousin's child, but you died, she died on the uh, table having you, on, you know, birthing you. And she promised me that if anything ever happened to her, that I would take care of you. And so I just need you to know now because – you know, And then it came out, but now we then knew that this father always knew he was never the biological father of these children. And it was just a family saga that came out. But the beautiful thing is, is that family stuck together. They came back to our courtroom again to try to help find uh, the children's father. The name was, her name was Precious, was the young girl. So, you know, I could go on and on because I'm so <laughs> grateful and thankful for the work that I get to do because it's beautiful mm-hmm. because we really do help people get the answers they need.
4: Yes, that is awesome. And I do remember the the case of the gentleman who was jailed. And that was, I remember that being a a very tough one. And hopefully anyone listening, you know, maybe they have saw the Josiah episode and they might be able to, maybe this could be the one interview where someone might follow up and let you know how he's doing and where yes. he is now. That would be great to know. Definitely. I would love okay. that. Yeah, So um, I want to move on because you have done so many awesome things since the last time I saw you. And I want to kind of touch on some of those um, while we're chatting. So I remember seeing Queen Boss. Um, I was able to catch a few episodes of that. And I You know, that was, I thought that was a wonderful platform for you. It made perfect sense to me just based on your um, business acumen and kind of your, you know, your hustle and the way that you've moved and done your career and you providing insight for those ladies. So for that show, what kind of inspired you to get involved with that panel of women to help other women entrepreneurs, you know, get exposure and get win money for their business?
8: You know, as I live what I call this limitless life, I have been able to turn many of my passions into profit and and create an extra income stream for myself when I needed it, whether it was with singing as a professional singer or designing homes as an interior designer uh, or even as a, um, you know, a motivational and inspirational speaker. And it was my desire to be a part of a program that lifts up and supports, encourages, inspires women to become entrepreneurs women who um you know use their gifts uh to to create income streams for themselves and you know as as african-american women we don't often see ourselves as the you know creator and and and, and ceo of the products and the company uh, as, as the entrepreneur and it was important to have a show that where women were seen day in and day out coming up with the next big thing and the next big idea and using the resources, you know, around them to do that. These were also women that probably would not make it to, you know, a program like Shark Tank. Maybe they wouldn't have been cast. We don't see a lot of women of color on on those kinds of television shows. And yet this was a show that highlighted women of color who were coming up with pretty amazing projects uh, and, and, and products. And I was excited to help them figure out how to level up in their business.
4: Yes, and indeed, it was definitely awesome having that wonderful women of judges, judging other wonderful women, and it was just all about empowerment and um, women business owners and entrepreneurs, so that definitely spoke to my heart as well. Now, did you have a favorite pitch or product from the show that kind of came across um, I know, you know, there was a winner, but were there any other ones that kind of struck stuck with you and made you think, you know, let me keep up with this business?
8: Well, I'll tell you what, we had so many amazing women, um, but I think there was one young woman, Raha Marite, and she actually went went home very early on. And she went home only because what we were awarding in that competition was um, $25,000 worth of seed money to uh, young a woman entrepreneur with a young business, a company that really needed that money. And uh, Rahama has a company called Shailene, and it's um, in some Whole Foods stores now, and she's doing some other amazing things with it. But I was just so impressed by the way in which this young woman had grown this business, I mean literally from scratch, and had gotten angel uh, donors, and had truly – taking her idea to the next level she was she was an example and inspiration to all of us even many of the judges as well as you know the young women that were also competing against her and she went home early quite frankly because we had to make a decision and felt like one of the other people there could better have been served by winning that money but i never forgot about her and her products they're amazing And uh, she's actually going to be um, at my Limitless Living Conference, which is going to be uh, in um, Atlanta in October and November. So that was exciting. And one other woman was uh, Lucinda Cross. And this was a fascinating story because she had served time in the penitentiary, actually, uh, on drug-related charges, I think five, six years or so. And during that time, used a vision board in her jail cell to keep herself inspired and keep her faith. Uh, you know, And because of that, when she got out, she developed and created a vision board kit. And this vision board kit is what she sells along with being a motivational speaker. And this product was something that we, looked, we were very hard on her, getting her to try to make this product. Um, you know, feel a little different from what we see in stores now, but Lucinda and her story was unforgettable. And she's also going to be speaking at the limitless living conference in October. So yeah, those were two of the women that I think There were just so many. I mean, there was one woman who was like a cake lady in the town and I say it everywhere I go, like I want that cake lady to become a cake corporation. She was just that lady. Everybody got the cake from. And mm-hmm. she just so desperately wanted to get her first storefront and become a full corporation. I, you know, I could go on and on, because truthfully, that's what was so special about the show is, you know, women bringing to the table their own version of magic. And it really was magical to watch them and to see their ideas. And, you know, I was honored to be able to give them some seeds of, of, of wisdom that I've, I've you know grown over the years.
4: That's awesome. I love that you were, have been able to, you know, incorporate them into other projects where you're basically empowering oh, and yes, supporting yes, them. Yes.
8: Really awesome. Oh my God, it is. It, it, it's, it's such a blessing. We actually reached out to all of them. We know how scheduling is. we reached out to so many of them, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, um, you know, these two are coming so far, but we, we really are excited about the fact that look, you know, being able to continue the work, um and knowing that each one of us inspires the other. And so yeah, I'm excited to continue to work with them.
4: That's awesome. So do can we expect another season of Queen Boss of just more black women supporting black women well, to be awesome since,
8: on TV? I, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Since we aired Queen Boss, we were we you know, we did come to know that there was a regime kind of switch over change over at BET centric and i even mm-hmm. think um i've heard that they're in the process of rebranding centric and so the network itself and so we have not gotten word that there will be another season i don't think at this point there will be but i'm hoping that we will be doing um other programming like that or maybe they would you know consider bringing it back once they get you know all of their ducks in a row and and get get the network relaunched but in the meantime we're going to be having at the limitless living conference in october in atlanta the uh, a pitch contest which awesome. will yeah on friday we're going to have a pitch contest where you know women entrepreneurs are going to be allowed to come pitch their product to investors uh and it's going to be an exciting time for us to kind of continue this mission of supporting encouraging and uh you know giving resources to women entrepreneurs
4: that's amazing and that's so invaluable because we you know you quickly learn when you start working with women entrepreneurs how dismal the numbers are when it comes to funding for women entrepreneurs and even more dismal when it comes to funding for black women and women of color so i that is amazing that you guys are doing that there and i think that's awesome so you've mentioned limitless living conference and that is my kind of last question i want to you know tell us about limitless living conference and what's happening there and what can we expect um what should people look forward to why should people come and get in on basically a conference that's going to be filled with women and magic and support
8: Absolutely. Well, you know, I have been passionate and, and focused on empowering women worldwide for, um, gosh, the bulk of my professional career. And uh, not only do I have a nonprofit that I created along with um, Felicia Butterfield-Jones, Christy Henderson, and Sabrina Thompson called Ween, uh, we serve women 18 to 26, and we have a confer- uh, a, a boot camp um, every summer. And then we also have the Wien Awards where we honor women um, that have proven to be committed to the empowerment of women worldwide. But there was another facet of, of empowerment and inspiration that I felt like was lacking. And it was that woman who would reach out to me via email or call me or whatever and ask me over and over and over again, what should she do? How does she take her next step? How does she level up? How does she create her limitless life? And quite frankly, as I sit in my courtroom day after day and I look at young women talk to me about the reasons why they fell into a bad relationship or maybe had that, you know, unhealthy, unprotected sex with more than one man, which created a paternity situation they're now ashamed of, the truth is I looked and I said, my life work has to be more than just sitting in this courtroom and getting the women and men and children these answers. It has to be about ensuring that women don't end up in my courtroom. And how do I do that? And I always say a purposeful woman, a woman that, you know, is passionate about life and living out her purpose and her dreams, they move differently and they don't get themselves caught up into, into, into you know, as many sagas as I see as young women who might be looking for their self-worth and self-esteem in relationships or in men or in partners or mm-hmm. in, 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 in other things, you know. And so this conference was very near and dear to me because it allows me a platform to give women real concrete resources, true concrete solutions uh to the problems they're facing as they're trying to level up in their lives and whether it's, you know, detoxing your life and your relationships and separating yourself from the things that are that are limiting you or whether it's you re- rebranding yourself, labeling yourself. I went through that. You know, people used to say to me, be careful of being a Jack of all trades and a master of nothing. And for a while there, I started to believe them until I realized, no, I, I, I can be a jack or a jill with any trade I choose to master, and I can be different, and I can use multiple gifts at one time to make a living. And it may not be okay for some, but it works for me, and that's okay. And so at this conference, we're going to give women not only business-related um, solutions, but also life, uh, life-altering, life transforming information that will allow them to level up in the ways they want. And, you know, for our conference, I always tell people, you know, don't just walk through the door thinking we're going to give you, you know, your whole life. You've got to come prepared. What is your question? What do you want to know? And so instead of being able to answer each individual email anymore, I can't do that. And, you know, after I speak somewhere, you know, I have a long line of women who want to pull me inside and say, hey, what should I do next? Now I'm creating this conference, and this is a place where women can come and get the answers they need, whether it's in business or personally, uh, on how they take things to the next level. Uh, So we are going to have amazing speakers like uh, Mara Brock-Akeel as one of our keynotes, uh, Lisa Price, Akeel's daughter. We have executives from Delta, uh, Major League Baseball, Google. Um, you know, it's, it's been amazing um, the amount of support that we've had from executives all across the country. And even across the world, we are having um, you know, talent from uh, overseas come in as well to teach people how to take their business and their brand international. And so we've had such amazing response because we know women are the fastest growing number of entrepreneurs in this country. Women, black women. And we need to feed that momentum. And we know that as black women, we are historically multitaskers. We can do more than one thing at once, and we can do it well. We've been called to do that historically, and we still do that. And now it's time for us to level up in our own lives and decide that we're going to be the CEOs of our lives. And, you know, not just our, our families, but our own lives, like putting ourselves first and then create companies that can you know help benefit the world
4: definitely and i love the diversity of um, speakers i was looking at the website and the list of speakers and you have everyone from like you know amara brockett or Alisa price who's a very common name and people know their faces to other women who are living their best lives you know maybe behind the scenes and you would know
8: Absolutely. that there are women
4: of color doing that and that's amazing
8: Thank you so much. I'm so excited about it, and I hope that, you know, people will come out and just take part in this amazing, transformative day. My partners, Evelyn brooks Mack and Gary Mack, are working alongside me to bring the most, I think, just one of the most incredible experiences we can for a woman who is really at that crossroads. You know, you, you know, for this conference to work for you, you've got to be in that place where you're saying, I'm ready and I'm ready for it now. I'm ready to level up.
4: Definitely. And I love that your leveling up in your own life and career is, you know, being spread to other women to help them level up as well. And that's a great way to show support and sisterhood and empowerment. At the same time yeah. as, you know, experiencing your own professional growth.
8: And it's so funny you said that because I was joking one day with, you know, Gary and Evelyn, and I said, I want to come to my own conference. Like, you know, <laughs> I have things I want to learn from these people. So many incredible people, incredible people have signed on. It's like I want to hear what they have to say because – you're exactly right we are all doing it i always tell people when i give advice i'm giving it from a place of perspective not perfection because i am in this fight with you i am fighting my own demons going through my own drama and trying to walk into my own destiny just like everybody else but i think as sisters what we what we under have to understand is that even though we're in process it doesn't negate our power we still have the power to bring another one along inspire another one someone's watching you and your light is shining and and it's drawing someone else in and we have a responsibility for each one of us to teach the next
4: definitely I could not agree more I think that's a wonderful place to end on a great note of inspiration for sure
8: (laughs) thank you so so much for having me this was awesome
4: yes thank you I'm so glad to be able to check in with you of course I see all of the social media and so I'm like yes I see that she's doing the things that were in I remember there were some things that were like ideas and and you're working out the plan and now it's like come to fruition in a very magnificent way
8: that is good. We're just putting intention out into the world and expecting the universe to bring us great things. And, you know, congrats to you and your transition and what you're doing here. And I love the name Black Girl Nerd because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I joke with people when, you know, when I was in school, I was the nerd of the class. And I always still say it is nothing wrong with nerds. We get it done. Yes, we do.
4: <laughs> we definitely I do.
6: It.
8: I
0: love it. I love it.
4: Guess well, thank you for taking us some few minutes thank to you. chat Have with a me on the your weekend. You too.
8: Okay, hun. See. I okay. hope to see you soon. Okay, bye yeah. bye.
1: The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Broadnax, Mr. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Art19, and Spotify.
0: That was a headgum podcast.